I'm Abby Atkinson and this is Don't Let Dave Win, the podcast that explores mental health and that negative inner voice that we all have within the world of the arts industry. I am joined this week by Hannah Walker-Brown, who is an author, composer and multi-award winning audio documentary and podcast creator. And that's only naming a few of the many, many creative projects that she is involved with. This chat was recorded back in August of 2022, and we discuss Hannah's book, A Delicate Game, which went on to be named one of The Guardian's best books of 2022. We also discuss her other creative projects and her journey into the arts, as well as how her inner voice has been much quieter in recent years, and how her clinical diagnosis with ADHD has helped with that. She is a podcast queen and all-round amazing human being, so I feel very lucky to have been able to have this chat with her. Okay, so we can just have a little bit of a check-in before we um, get going properly. So yeah, how are you doing today, genuinely, uh, if you had to say how you feel in two words? How how are you doing today? Oh, Oh God, two words. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, I guess it's one word, but in between, I feel like August is quite a uneven month for a lot of reasons. It's sort of like the edge of summer, but not quite autumn. And I think even from like um, being a kid and it being school holidays and kind of structure and schedule and everything sort of up in the air and um the weather's gone a bit grey and muggy and weird. So yeah, I'd say in between, which is one word. Nice. Not quite here or there. Not bad. Not good. I don't know. Yeah, in between. <laughs> okay, nice. Nice. <laughs> kind of, yeah, floating in between. Yeah, 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 yeah. Floating. Maybe floating. That sounds more graceful than I feel, but yeah. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm a bit, um, a bit heady today, I think. Yeah, yeah. I feel um, that as well. Yeah, I think if that was going to be my one word, it would be a bit, yeah, like incredibly excited to have this chat and I think it will help, hopefully, um, but a little little bit in my head. Yeah, yeah, it feels like, I don't know if you're in London or not, but I feel like when the weather is kind of grey and it's hot and you can't see the sky, it feels quite oppressive. It's like your thoughts can't escape. No, I feel that, almost claustrophobic a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like we're on a similar page. We can ease in and yeah, okay, um, cool. yeah, just take it easy. So this podcast is based primarily on my inner voice, that little sort of fucker that always <laughs> tells you you're not good enough in every um, walk of life. So I came up with the decision to name it Dave mm. because... For me, it helps to kind of give it an external name and to kind of, although it's part of me, it helps to see it almost as somebody else that you can tell to go away when they're just not serving you a useful purpose. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I wanted to ask you whether you have that internal voice and if so, how loud is it? And if so, do you have a name for it? Um, I don't have a name for it. I do have it. I think it's great that you've given it a name and maybe I will adopt that. Um, But I do have it. It's not as loud as it used to be. And I think that just comes with, I guess, I don't want to say years of experience, but I think actually really getting to grips with what it is and where it comes from. And I think for so long, 
it was sort of I felt that I wasn't good enough and I was like it was coming from me it didn't even feel like a kind of inner voice it just felt like me and it wasn't until um I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult that actually I was really able to kind of almost compartmentalize it and actually understand that my brain is different and the way I process things and the way I hold myself and speak to myself is like it is real I don't want to say it's like it's not happening or you know you're not your thoughts because it is there but actually what it allowed me to do was kind of take a step back and a bit of clarity in terms of where is that coming from I know that I I start my day in a kind of dopamine deficit compared to people who are neurotypical. So it's like I have to work a lot harder just to get my baseline to be everything's okay. And one of my biggest ADHD symptoms is insomnia. That's something I've never been able to crack. So if like you're not sleeping and you're in a dopamine deficit, like it's not the kind of ideal combination for like, you know, feeling like you're the bollocks or, you know, getting up and being like, I'm so great. But actually that's what I've had to really work at is, and it, and practice it and it sounds crazy but it's like in the same way people go to the gym to get stronger I've had to really practice being kind and showing myself compassion um in order to to kind of not overcome that because it obviously is still there but but to quieten that to the point where it's not impacting my everyday and I mean I hate the expression self-love because I think that implies that we should you know hold all parts of ourselves and love all parts of ourselves. And I'd much rather say kind of self-compassion or self-understanding. And I think it's knowing what it is, where it comes from, allowing it to be, but just not giving it the weight. And I actually think like naming it is probably quite a, a good technique to ensure there kind of is that bit more distance, but I don't know what I'll call mine. But yeah, definitely, I've definitely felt that. And, and in, it's only in the last two years that that voice has become a whisper versus sort mm-hmm. of, a yell yeah and do you think that having the clinical diagnosis with ADHD helped that a million percent yeah 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 totally and I think I don't know I I think things like ADHD are becoming more and more prevalent um there's a lot more discourse on it that isn't because someone said to me it'd become a bit of a buzzword which I just thought was ridiculous because if you have ADHD, like you don't want it. It's not something that I'm like, yay, I've got this. Like if it was up to me, I wouldn't have it. But the fact is I do. So I don't know, it's sort of become a cool badge of honor, which again, it is. There's a lot of things in my life and my career that I've achieved because of it. But um, people say that you don't need a diagnosis and there's a lot of people self-diagnosing, which I did initially, but actually receiving the clinical diagnosis And actually, I've been doing a lot of tests since then because mine is so extreme. Like I score so highly on all the testing. Um, So I've done further kind of psychological assessment since then. Um, But actually, the clarity that that gave, and that's not to say I needed to kind of be validated by someone else, but it just means that now I can start to kind of, I I have an explanation for what's going on, Mm -hmm. but it also means that I can start to work with professionals and I know where to go and and what to look for and and yeah I think just just for my own peace of mind like having that clinical diagnosis is just it's leveled me out in a way that I don't think self-diagnosis ever did okay yeah yeah that makes sense yeah 
um would you say that i mean the industry that you work in um so you're an author a podcast creator documentary maker and a creative director so you do a whole ton of different things yeah um do each of those industries would you say do enough currently to help um people with adhd or other neurodivergent people or is there still quite a long way to go um it's interesting because I've never really thought about it and I guess because I've always just got on and done it I think there's a kind of misconception in creative industries that you're always doing something creative when the reality is kind of at least 80% admin which is sort of my kryptonite like I'm absolutely terrible at admin um which you know does make things really hard and I also have kind of very unique patterns of working in that and a lot of ADHD people will say this um that I work better through the night okay so actually being kind of confined to sort of nine to five and a load of admin like I've done it I've managed to Mm -hmm. kind of do that so I guess it hasn't held me back but that's sort of off my own back and and being tenacious and and really pushing myself it to the point of burnout on more than one occasion um but I just don't think that there is an understanding of what it kind of means day to day and the impact of that. And I'm lucky because I work for a company that, um, you know, we have, we can be flexible. It's like, as long as you get stuff done, it's up to you. Obviously there are some things that I will fuck up or I won't get done um, or it takes me a bit longer. Or I have to be reminded just because there's so much going on in my head at any one moment. But on the flip side of that, I'm able to do so many things and juggle so many things and creatively it's really I mean I've sort of excelled creatively because of it I would say and actually it's allowed me to be engaged with different industries and you know to pick different things up and they all inform each other so I think my kind of perspective and who I am as a kind of creative has only been elevated by that ability to do all those things but I think Mm -hmm. I don't think there is an understanding of what it means I think you still meet people whose only kind of perception of ADHD is kids causing a riot in a classroom Mm -hmm. and or like hyperactivity and I do have elements of that but my sort of hyperactivity is often in my head so it's getting stuck and spinning on thoughts and my mind racing versus I mean I do also move around a lot but it's very different and and nuanced and and each individual is kind of unique yeah um so no I don't think there is a there is an understanding I think it's still a kind of relatively new or relatively newly accepted that actually this is having a big impact on on adults and I would argue that the majority of those are in creative industries wow okay yeah I mean it like you said as well because it is such an individual thing like I feel I feel like a lot of people have sort of like a checklist in their head of okay well do you tick Mm -hmm. do you tick this box do you tick this box And, and if it's not instantly like a recognized symptom I think people are still very dismissive as oh, well, are you, are you really, or, you know, mm-hmm. are you sure? And and it's, yeah, it is such just a dismissive thing because we're all individual people as, mm-hmm. as humans anyway. Um, and I think people just see success and think, well, you can't have that because look at what you've done. 
because it's seen as kind of a hindrance. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's incredibly successful people who have ADHD, Richard Branson being one of them. Um, And I think that's where it gets confused is that it's seen as, you know, less than or, you know, you should be struggling or you should be failing school. Like we know that women and men have remarkably different experiences and symptoms so I think that's difficult because I think on the outset like I've got a very successful career but again like internally I'm always like fighting or always sort of I don't know I'm it's never good enough for me Mm -hmm. but outwardly it's it looks exceptional so I think that's something difficult difficult to grapple sorry we've just got an ADHD tangent and I realize (laughs) that's not your podcast no 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 it's it's all extremely important stuff and yeah I mean it it goes back to sort of you know be kind to whoever you meet because you never know what sort of battles people are going through yeah um something like ADHD that's not always visible um it doesn't mean that you're not struggling but all credit to you that you you do have an incredibly successful career and why shouldn't you like it it shouldn't stop you it shouldn't be seen as a hindrance Mm. so yeah can I ask you which which avenue did you start going down first in terms of your career we was it more of the podcast audio stuff that came first or were you an author who then went down that avenue uh so I tell this story a lot I'll tell it to you now it was audio music and storytelling sort of side by side I was always writing a lot as a kid like always always and big in my own imagination so and again I think that's also kind of part of ADHD being like very internal um not that I was an introvert because I love singing and dancing and acting but I think a lot of what was going in my head I, I put out on paper but um my dad told me this story when I asked him when I started and he'd been a sound engineer in London and Engelbert Humperdinck who's like a really old crooner was doing a tour and Jimi Hendrix was supporting and no one knew who Jimi Hendrix was at this point who just kind of this young kid and they were in the studio where my dad was and they just started harmonizing not recording and someone pressed record they got it all on cassette and my dad kept the cassette and he tells me (laughs) that One day he came home, bearing in mind, like, there's only one of these cassettes. And it's, like, early Jimi Hendrix. This would have been, you know, worth, well, everyone's retirement, probably in our whole family. And um, he said he came home one day and I had plucked this cassette out of a wall of, like, hundreds and put it in a tape recorder and press record. And I was recording my own stories over the top, which I I was like, like, how? amazing I was like what a great kid you had that knew to do that but so yeah it's like I'd always had that in me and I think what it was was I just wanted to put something out into the world and I guess because I was around music and stories and sound like that kind of was like a lot of my family and musicians so that was always there but I I did theatre I wanted to kind of I thought I wanted to act and dance And I always wanted to write. And then when I did my undergrad, I wanted to direct. But then kind of simultaneous to that, which I sort of forget about. And then I remember I started doing a lot of sound design for other people's theatre shows. And I remember I went on tour with this guy in his one man show. Um, He was quite a big comedian. He was doing really well on like all the Edinburgh circuits. And I remember I was 18 and we did 
a tour of Cornwall and Devon together, like just me and him staying at like Airbnbs or maybe not even Airbnbs, maybe just B&Bs. Um, and I sound designed his show and then was his sound engineer, um, which was like really great. And I forget that I did that. And then that kind of started to evolve and I got really interested in recording people's real stories and then putting them to sound and music. And I didn't know that was a thing. And it was only when one of the engineers at the radio studio at my university said to me, I think you're really good at this. I think you should go and explore it more and suggested Goldsmiths to do the MA in radio. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like I didn't even know this was a thing. This is like before podcast boomed. And so I submitted some work to Goldsmiths that I've been making and they were like, you know, come here. I got a scholarship and spent that kind of next year really diving into this thing. Like I had never heard of sort of radio documentaries or, you know, I knew about Radio 4 because like my dad listened to it in the car and, you know, my grandma did, but it wasn't kind of ever on my radar. Um, and then I just started making these pieces and, and it just blew up. And I think because it blew up straight out the gate, I just sort of rode it. Um, and then obviously podcasts came in. So I was kind of at the, a great sort of wave of that. But I think writing was always a thing I wanted to do. Um, but I just was like, well, wow, this is good. I'm going to do it. And then obviously kind of writing has always been there um, privately or, you know, writing audio books or even, you know, scripts for shows, whatever. And then the the, the book deal came. So, yeah, it was it's kind of a mishmash of things. And I think it was important for me to just kind of remain open and trusting of of the process of going through what I was going through. And I think a lot of people they often have this fixed thing in their head that they really want. Like, I want to be this and I want to be that. And actually, sometimes what you need is kind of a bit of flexibility because I, I knew I wanted to change the world, which sounds wanky, but I, I knew I just wanted to make it better and I knew I wanted to tell stories. But whatever vehicle or kind of vessel that I would do that through, I I didn't really mind. And so I just sort of went with, what was happening at the time mm -hmm. yeah that is I think it's amazing that you've dived into so many different things because we're often told so many times like throughout school and that like, you need to pick one yeah you need, you need to have one subject that you specialize in and that's it you can maybe have side projects mm. but you need to have sort of one solid career and so that was definitely like when Dave piped up for me ironically like starting this podcast about inner voices I was sort of like but you, you don't know anything about this industry mm. um you're diving into something that like I'm not a very technological person <laughs> at all so kind of learning how to use a mic and like whether I needed an audio interface and, and all of that mm. stuff and that voice is always there like well why are you doing this like you've you've picked acting as like your core your core thing so why not stick to that but like you're perfect proof that you absolutely don't need to and you can you can go on a journey and do a thousand different things yeah and I had this um situation last year I was doing a talk for these students and I was on a panel with the woman from the BBC and um I don't know why she didn't like me <laughs> um I think because I called her out for using people's work and not paying them under the guise of you know getting a BBC credit which I just think is bollocks Ah, okay. um, which obviously, you know, I probably would get my back up if someone 
called that out, but I wouldn't do that. So I I was talking to them about IP, that intellectual property, because I think that's important to know. And she said they didn't need to know that yet. And then she sort of went into a a rant about what they need to do is, like you said, focus on one thing and then use me as an example of someone who's hard to market because no one knows what box to put me in. And I was like, well, that's a load of bollocks. Like people don't belong in boxes. Like I know from a, there is an argument for becoming really good and well-known for one thing so that you establish a kind of audience or brand and then diversifying. But actually I think the only thing that that serves is places like Instagram where people know what to come to you for and actually in real life which you know I live very fully compared to my Instagram account which is inconsistent and you know not real um it's much more worthwhile to do a number of things and actually like I said like they all inform each other even for me I trained as a yoga teacher um another kind of element of ADHD is hobbies loads of hobbies um (laughs) but the skill set I use as a yoga teacher is the same as the one I use when I'm interviewing someone for a documentary. Like in both instances, you kind of have to empty out of your own bullshit mm-hmm. to be able to show up for someone else, like to hold space and to execute whatever they need in that moment. And if you go in with your own like, oh, I've had this awful day or, oh, I want to get this, this and this, like you're not going to get the most out of those situations or you're not going to enable like to hold that space for someone else or so that they do feel safe where they can be vulnerable because whether you're kind of directing someone through movement which again they're vulnerable because it's how they move their body and if you fuck it up like people can get injured the same way if you're asking someone you know hard questions or they're reliving trauma for example which a lot of documentary is if they don't feel safe in that situation they're going to leave it and feel horrendous so it's amazing how all these things can inform each other and I'm you know I'm absolutely 100% for people doing a bit of everything obviously you know we all need to live and pay rent and cost of living and blah blah but I think you know you can have more than one thing that you do and that you're passionate about and that you're good at and actually if people don't understand that then that's on them that's not on you yeah exactly and yeah fuck that like sticking to the rules in the system Mm. like no if opportunities come your way and you realize that you are good at something else why would you not go for it yeah yeah it'd be stupid to like stick to the rules that don't even exist yeah because I also think you're in a great position with being someone that hasn't kind of trained or is in podcasting because I think that can really hinder people and what I noticed when I did my master's is so many people on my course were like I want to work for the BBC and I want to do this and they were so fixed on that point Whereas I was the complete opposite. I was like, I'm just going to use all this equipment and make as much stuff as I can and learn as much as I can for no other reason than I was enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference is I'm the one that's had a 12 year career in this subject and a lot of other people didn't. But I think when you're so fixed on that, again, like you miss so much around you. And I think actually being a beginner and not having any of that kind of preconceived notion of like what's technically accurate or you know the way that other people do things um because I always say like my, my big thing is fuck what you heard when it comes to podcasts like whatever you've listened to you know take it for what it is but it's no reflection on what you can do and I 
listen to podcasts critically to find out what works. I don't listen to them for fun because, I mean, let's face it, it's my job. Um, but I listen to like what's working. I never, ever compare myself to someone else's work. And I never want to make work like anyone else. I just want to make work like me in all my evolutions. And I want to get better and better. But there's not one person that I look at in the industry and go, oh, I want to be like them. Because I just think, again, you know, like with acting, like with writing, it's so personal. Yeah. And the things that succeed are things that from a place of authenticity. And if you're constantly trying to emulate someone else like you just do yourself a disservice and the world because we don't get you like who you are and that's that's what makes us different yeah exactly you just get stuff that's already been and that's not yeah that's a bit crapper yeah that's not what you actually want to put out there yeah no I think that's a very healthy way to be um have you ever questioned whether this is the right industry for you or at what point would you say that inner voice comes into play the most Oh yeah, constantly, constantly, constantly. I think the podcast industry at the moment is, especially in the UK, a mess. I think things that are kind of championed and celebrated are, it's it's kind of political, it's game playing. I'm sick of murdered women um, being fetishized and commissioned by middle-class white men. Um, I'm over sort of, I don't know. It's it's still a very white male landscape, um, cis male landscape, and it's hard. It's hard to want to do something important or that can create a positive change when it's sort of not the goal of everyone and not the goal of people that can, you know, steer that and actually kind of really elevate that so it's tiring Mm -hmm. I still love the kind of grassroots of it I love interviewing people I still love sound design thinking of ideas working with new people building up new people finding those people who aren't being platformed because they're not a big celebrity or they don't have a big following um finding the kind of I always say unheard stories because a lot of the time these stories are told it's just people don't listen so Mm -hmm. there's still elements that I really love but I just think the way it's going it's becoming much more like advertising marketing and a bit of a dick swinging contest to be honest (laughs) and that's just not a space I want to be in Mm -hmm. um I was watching Sliding Doors the other day the film of Gwyneth Paltrow and she gets um fired from an ad firm it's all men at the beginning and she says this funny line about she better leave um because of all the testosterone in here she doesn't want to grow a penis and I was like that's what it feels like like I was at the British Podcast Awards two weekends ago it's 2022 and we've got two white dudes hosting the whole thing it's like could we not could we not at least find a woman Mm -hmm. you know um and it was it was just kind of you know I guessed every single award that won and that's not based on you know the big numbers or what was a huge hit with listeners but I was like it is all political and it's bollocks like we're just making podcasts we're not you know saving the world um so yeah I feel a bit um disheartened by the industry yeah and I think I flip between that get me out of here it's not worth it and actually if you don't who will and then mm-hmm. I could have an easier life or no I love this so it's I don't know yeah. it's like a, it's like how I feel about London you're like <laughs> oh my god I love London you're like I hate London it's kind of no I'm exactly the same yeah you know <laughs> but yeah it it's yeah it's bullshit that it's 2022 
and yet still yeah not even enough female voices let alone the fact that they're all white yeah cis gender yeah ridiculous but the work you do does give like you said voices to those unheard stories and so you're a producer for um we were always here Mm -hmm. which tells the stories of the people most affected by the uk hiv crisis Mm -hmm. that were unheard at the time trans people black people sex workers doing projects like that that must feel like you're definitely making a mark in terms of yeah putting those new voices into places where they deserve to be heard because they were the most affected and crazy that it's taken this this long for somebody to do it but the fact that those voices are now entering the industry is fucking amazing yeah I don't it's weird because that I don't think it goes through my head like right what are we gonna do that's gonna you know do this this, and this I know I've just said it is about unheard stories but it isn't a kind of it's almost just sort of bled into me to make those decisions and I think it's the same you know with things like diversity a lot of people have to really work at doing that like how can we be diverse and actually it's not that complicated and I think actually once you kind of recognize that and it's just part of how you do things it's like so easy to you know hire diverse or you know tell diverse stories whatever diverse means um and so for me that again was like I'm driven by story and Mark the host of that I knew through friends um and he sent me a pitch that he wanted to ask my advice on where he could pitch out basically like where he could get this commissioned and I read it and I was like don't you dare I'll do it like we'll do it don't take it anywhere because I knew I was like the I'm the person that should do this with you because anyone else would try and you know either fill it with a celeb or it just it wouldn't have the kind of humanity and the intimacy that I knew it deserved and and knowing him and his passion and his ability as a storyteller I felt quite protective I was like, I don't want this to go anywhere else so mm-hmm. that was kind of a story it wasn't looking for things that you know might that's first for me and and this I was having a doing a talk last night and one of the big things in any of this for me is approaching things as a human I think like titles like producer creative director sound designer author they're kind of they put up a barrier between you and the person if that's how you're going in like they do Mm -hmm. kind of allow you into spaces um they kind of give you permission to ask difficult questions or a different sort of questions but actually how I try and like meet the world or meet a subject or whatever is always as a human first and I think that's the difference in just going to get the story or wanting to be buzzy or you know wanting to make an impact but in a way that isn't authentic or isn't that is quite self-serving I suppose um yeah which I think is why we end up with like this insane true crime genre it's why there's like nine million Ghislaine Maxwell podcasts um but I think that's really important to me is is coming at it as human even down to like I won't bring pieces of paper into interviews because then you have a physical barrier between you I'd like I'd know my questions first and and make sure that I was really clear on what I was there to do rather than just kind of holding a bit of paper with everything on it so there's ways that you can do that and there's ways you you can ensure that you're still telling those stories that matter that you're still creating an impact and 
and adding to a narrative or you know elevating a narrative that's been missing but I think it it's the humanity that that sets that apart mm-hmm. yeah for sure and that is yeah particularly apparent in a delicate game which I listened to the audiobook for and it fucking broke me but <laughs> in the best way possible um oh god the audiobook I read I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, oh my god, incredible! And like everybody who's ever played sport or knows or knows somebody playing sport, one hundred percent needs to read it. But the yeah, I mean, obviously, such personal personal stories of tragedy, and the process for that started in twenty sixteen. Mm. So you've sat with sat with these stories for six years that are so deeply, you know, heartbreaking. That must have had a mental impact on you writing it. And yeah, how, how, how did you go about sort of separating the two and, ma- and making sure that you were mentally okay? Oh, God. It's not easy, you know. I think um, I remember January 2021, I was sort of wrapping up my final interviews and there was one. And, and again, I've been, like you said, sitting with this for a long time and not just sort of hearing these stories, but, you know, editing the audio or then going through the transcript so you're kind of always in this weird space that's kind of detached from your reality you're in someone else's but then you're also kind of in the world but you know you're carrying all this stuff and I remember um (laughs) I think a therapist or a doctor I went to um because I felt really depressed really really depressed and I was worried um, about how bad I felt and they asked me what I was doing and I told them about the book and they were just like they didn't say this but it was like well fucking are you kidding me like that's why you feel so depressed um so actually recognizing that because I was like why am I so sad um and there were a lot of things that again yoga teaching really helped that and it's hard and it's a practice and that I didn't nail it a lot of the time I felt shit a lot of the time um but it's about sort of detaching almost. And the things that I found really resourced me, the main thing I found that really resourced me is when you're spending so much time listening to and witnessing other people in in the most purest sense, like you're giving them all of your attention, um, is to then be witnessed and seen yourself and held by people that love you. So it really benefited me. I was living with my dad and stepmom for that final lockdown when I was finishing the second draft of the book and just having dinner with them and being able to talk to them and being around them really enabled me to kind of be myself and be a person, not just kind of this vessel of a load of people's tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um and having conversations with friends, like a lot of the time, the last thing you want to do is, is say anything, or I particularly, I can withdraw when I'm feeling quite sad or overwhelmed. But actually, it was, it was that it was connecting with people that make you feel like seen and loved. Because I guess you're kind of in a weird way when you're doing this intense work, when you're holding space for someone and you're interviewing them, you are kind of loving them in that moment. And I guess uh, I don't mean like I guess that there's like a real accelerated intimacy not intimacy kind of in the stereotypical way but actually to be to be listened to in that way I think is 
it's rare mm-hmm. because often if we're in a conversation, for example, you know, we're listening, but also I'm going to reply in a minute, like we're doing now, like you're going to ask me a question, I'm going to respond. But actually just being there and allowing someone to talk, I think like it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get it right all the time. There were parts of writing the book that were really hard. And it was, again, recognizing that and and vocalizing it or writing it down and just making sure that I was resourcing myself, going for walks. It was exacerbated in lockdown because there wasn't a lot that we could do. Um, went through a lot of red wine at one point and was like, I don't know if this is the way forward. <laughs> um, but again, it's it's the same, like I said before, about you know going to the gym and practicing something to get stronger. You know, you have to practice this. And I'm human, so I'm going to feel shit. But actually, the one thing that sort of always brought me back was remembering why I started. And I even had that written on post-it notes, like uh, on my laptop on the wall, like, remember why you're doing this. And it's not to feel shit. And it's not for, you know, essentially, it's because you, you have this responsibility. And for whatever reason, I've been given this story and this duty. Mm-hmm. Um, so do it, you know. And and that sort of brought me back a bit and and allowed me to remember sort of why I'm here and what I'm doing but yeah I think people are important community is important I think that's that's what we're slowly starting to realize is you know you can do all the meditation and you know gut health fancy wellness stuff you want but actually the things that are really important are you know seeing others and being seen and held and loved and and conversations and yeah they're the things that kind of got me through it I think yeah yeah, would you say that's the sort of stuff that helps quiet your inner voice the most, being around other people and loved ones? Yeah, 100%. And I've noticed that recently because I um, I moved into my flat in June, so I'm living alone. And I, I lived in Spain for a bit on my own, but this is the first time I've ever lived in, like my, in England on my own. Um, and I really notice how much that is exacerbated when I don't have someone to kind of see every day or I'm not connecting with people um or if my only conversation is on zoom or and I realize because I'll go to like my yoga studio or to an exercise class and I just want to sit and chat to the receptionist and I'm like oh okay (laughs) this is this is what you need or I was living with a friend while my house went through and just like even those small interactions every day like really ground me and level me out and and I definitely have noticed a difference so again I just I'm gonna have to work a little bit harder while through this stage and and it's good practice sometimes it's like fucking infuriating but I can see it now and I can catch it I don't I can get it before it spirals but yeah it's again still learning you never just nail it I think people think oh one day I'll crack this I'm like no 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 there'll be something else that's thrown in yeah yeah that's definitely what I'm beginning to learn as well um because I think for me acting confidence put me off for so long I was sort of like okay when you get the next level of confidence then maybe you'll start because if you enter the industry in the state you're in now it's just going to break you that that kind of mentality of sort of thinking everybody else is so much more put together and has it all all figured out and kind of realizing that actually you're never going to feel like a finished product and that's a very unrealistic expectation to have um and nobody else has it completely nailed either yeah so as long as you're doing everything you can to 
improve yourself and improve your own mental well-being sort of striving for this completed sense of right I've made it now I'm Mm. at my peak confidence Mm -hmm. and peak career like I'm beginning to realize that nobody no matter how high up you are in your profession or how confident you are as a person like nobody is going to feel like they have it completely nailed no and I think even like the higher you go you want a new challenge and I think that's something inherent in creative people like we never just sort of get to where we get to and be like oh cool and it's so weird like with the book like it is a massive achievement and I can articulate that and appreciate that it doesn't feel like that because I've got another book to write and I want to do other things and that's part of me kind of I guess I don't allow myself the space to sort of celebrate or pat myself on the back that's not to say I hate myself (laughs) um but it's just kind of something I did and I guess from the outside it does look shiny and it does look impressive but I think we're always kind of seeking and looking for the next thing or how we can be better and that isn't to say so that we're better than anyone else but I think in ourselves like we're not satisfied you know because we've achieved that like I've done that I've written a book okay Mm -hmm. tick like move on to the next and and that checklist isn't for anyone but me it's not because I want to tell people I've done this that and the other but it's like I want to I guess I don't know if I have something to prove to myself but yeah I think the perception from the outside and what's actually happening are very very different and again things like social media exacerbate that my Instagram can be a trophy cabinet at times you know I'm sharing what I've achieved because I don't know people are interested but I guess it's, you know, you can't have a conversation like this every time you see someone, you know, has done something good or, you know, they're in a new play. You, 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 see, the, you see the end result, but you don't see everything that went into it. Mm-hmm. And I think we know that. We, we understand that as a concept, but I think sometimes we still get caught up in comparison or I, I'm working really hard and I haven't done that. And do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting, I think. And, and you're right. All we can do is, is make ourselves better. And, and again, that means that we can kind of be there for our communities, whatever community looks like. I know that's also become a bit of a buzzword, but whether that's kind of community in terms of industry, in terms of family, in terms of the people you interact with daily, the people that are going to come into your industry that haven't yet come through it's just you know ensuring that that's really you're laying a strong foundation and ultimately like you just want to make it easier for the people that come after you I think yeah yeah for sure help help people along the way rather than be like no I got to this place and I I don't want to share it with anyone yeah 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 and I think that's something I've seen that a lot in women especially women kind of the generation above me who have you know we're at the peak of trying to be taken seriously when, I mean, I'll say the patriarchy is still at its worst, but when it was kind of really difficult, um, they like to slam a door in your face. So I think for me, it's always been, no, keep it open, keep it open. And if you can pull someone through, pull them through. Because I don't know, I just, we're stronger together, um, which sounds like wanky, but it's like so true. Like everyone knows that. It's like a fact universally acknowledged. Like I think, um, yeah, the door should be left open and... Mm-hmm. And that's, and, you know, if, if you can inspire someone else through being honest and authentic to be themselves, mm-hmm. I guess you give them permission. And that's what I'd hope. I hope that by seeing what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, it would give someone else permission to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
that feeds very well into um what advice would you give someone wanting to enter this industry i feel like it would be <laughs> very similar to the stuff you've just said um but also if you had one tip on sort of how to keep that inner voice at bay what would it be um i guess i want to say courage because it really like you have to be brave in order to face that stuff you have to be brave to step into kind of any industry arena and i i guess the main thing is which again sounds a bit wanky but it is be yourself because i think again people forget that like the way that you tell stories is going to be so different to the way i tell stories the way you engage and hold the world is so much different to the way i engage and hold the world but there's space for both and i think again we're sort of brought up to believe that there's a kind of finite amount of wins that only a select few can make it like we all have the capacity to to do something good i think it's just about being realistic with what that is like i'm come from a working class family and I was never told that you know if I can believe it I can achieve it because those conversations are sort of exclusively held for people that can do that that you know have money to do internships and all this but I don't know I think I just stood very firm in what I was doing and how I did it and that's what made me successful I was being myself and and staying true to that so I would say to anyone going into any industry is find out who you are as a person as a human and get really firm in that because that's what sets you apart. But also it means that you don't come into an industry because, you know, big corporations, BBC, Amazon, they want to be able to shape people into their kind of systems, um, which does suit some people. You know, you can go there, have a career for 20 years. You're kind of a bit of a robot, but, you know, money is good and people need to pay rent. But I think actually when people can't fuck with you is when you're so clear on who you are and, and what you not even what you want to do, but how you do things. Um, so I think get into that first before you step into anything mm-hmm. amazing last thing before mm. we finish would you be able to give your voice a name even if you just trial it out to see if it works <laughs> for you if if I had to put you on the spot what would you call your inner voice oh I know tough question I'm sorry I feel like I feel like I don't want to give it a person's name Okay. Because oh, I don't. Ah, oh. <laughs> it's so weird. The thing that came to my head was sage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's a sage. Okay. I, I feel like it would be like an element. Ooh, interesting. I don't okay. know. I was getting just on some woo-woo tip right now, but I feel like <laughs> more of like a force than another person. Yeah, yeah, like an energy. Okay. Because I feel like I'd never put my power in another person, but I, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's bigger things at play. Let's go with Sage, why not? Okay, Sage, I love it. <laughs> Sage and Dave out on the town. <laughs> oh, Hannah, thank you so, so much. Oh, pleasure. Um, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Yeah, and ho- hope to meet you in person one day as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. And yeah, good luck with this. It's such a great concept. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Hannah, for your openness and generosity. It was so great to chat with you. I'd also like to thank Stephen Sobel and Amy Sayers at All In Actors for all of your support, Odin Ornhill-Marson for creating the beautiful music for this podcast, and everyone for listening. Have a fantastic week, and if your negative inner voice becomes too chatty, don't let them win.